What's up, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Inking Out Loud podcast. I'm your host, Rob Santos, and I'm joined, of course, by my co-host, Drew McCaffrey. How's it going, everybody? And today, Drew and I are talking about the exciting conclusion to the sixth novel in David Farland's Rune Lord series, and the second of the Scions of the Earth sequence, with Worldbinder. I think I said Scions on the Earth. Scions of the Earth <laughs> with Worldbinder. We're ending this book now. And I was left particularly stunned at the end of this one, so I'm glad that I get to <laughs> hand it over to Drew at this point. My friend, where did Worldbinder bring us? All right. In the second half of Worldbinder, High King Erstone's rescue mission proceeds. His army catches up to Volgnash and the Wormlings, trapping them inside a small building in the middle of the day. After taking heavy losses, they manage to kill Volgnash's entourage and corner him in the kitchen. Erstone himself confronts the Night Eternal, and Volgnash is forced to abandon his body and prisoners. As the army heads back to Cantular, Dalen Hammer escapes Care Luciare with the princess in tow, aided by Siata. They head to the meeting spot and are joined by Falian, Jazz, and Rihanna. New Knights Eternal appear for the swap and take the princess away, but they double-cross the humans using an undead illusion instead of Prince Aerith. At the same time, two huge armies of Wormlings attack. While Warlord Madoc and the Emir delay the Wormlings at Cantilar, Care Luciare prepares for the main assault. Falion and crew make it back to the city, killing another Knight Eternal in the process. With the Wormlings on their doorstep, King Erstone's, so- King Erstone's soldiers hurry to take endowments, and Falion, Jazz, and Erstone himself test out their new wings. But all of their work is for naught, as the Wormling army is simply overwhelming, including new and powerful tools and monsters. The Emir, Madoc, and his sons retreat from Cantalar and arrive at Caraluciare just in time for the city to be overwhelmed. Jazz is killed, and Falion gravely wounded. Vulgnash swoops in to capture Falion once again, and finds himself in a standoff with Rihanna and King Erstone. Using his newfound endowments, the Knight Eternal tricks Rihanna into killing the king, and then makes off with Falion after agreeing to a false deal with Madoc. Alan, Rihanna, and Wanderlust, Wanderlust in turn kill the warlord. Meanwhile, in Rugasa, Aerith is subjected to new torments. Vulgnash developed a new type of endowment, allowing the prince to be tortured through a vector. Finally broken, he agrees to take in a locus, the queen of the loci herself. While Vulgnash flies back to Rugasa with Falion, the young prince dreams of the netherworld and his soul awakens, revealing the name of the queen of the loci, Yalin. Back at Care Luciare, the Wormlings complete their conquest of the city, cornering the Emir, Siata, Sissel, and many civilians in the caverns. The Death Lord faces down the wizard Sissel, who breaks open the cavern wall and kills him with the morning sun. The survivors flee into the dawn, where Dalen Hammer opens a portal to the netherworld, leaving Rihanna behind to warn the inhabitants of her world of the new dangers at hand. Good God. <laughs> this book just went completely bonkers in the whole second <laughs> half didn't it i mean yeah what did i just read and i i'll start this this week by saying i said screw it to the audiobook and i just bought the ebook for the second half which i flew through earlier today it took me a day to get this whole second half out of the way it was <laughs> oh my god i it took me a week to get through the first half because i was doing it occasionally on audiobook i did the second half in a day and my goodness the difference between these two halves has just been uh <laughs> yeah. I'm left reeling. Yeah, this book is just insane. Yeah, and speaking on the e-reader version, I don't know if it's just a quirk of translation from page to the screen, but there aren't any page breaks in this e-reader version at all where there really should be page breaks. Not like just with the head jumping because Farland's got the omniscient narrator, so that's not too jarring at this point. But with the geographical hops too, there's still no page breaks between Care Luciane, Luciane, sorry, and Rugasa in in and in Cantilar. We're just going just line by line by line. We're going back between, back and forth in the audio. Sorry, I keep saying the audiobook, the e-reader version. Huh. It's just yeah, it's that, so, that's got to be an e-reader issue because there are definitely page breaks in my, so uh, my hardcover. Oh God, but <laughs> especially when they have this much happening as it is. Yeah. Whew. Yeah, yeah, that's weird. Yeah, there are definitely page breaks in the hardcover. Yeah. Um, but 
everything that's happening is just so it's every time something new happens and i'm going oh my god this cannot be happening how is he going to how has it reached this level and i always a chapter later i'm going oh you sweet summer child you didn't know five minutes ago where it's really going and then five minutes later guess what i'm still blown away again it just kept getting bigger and weirder and more exciting and terrifying and confusing and I don't know what to say about the second half of this book. I need to like let it simmer. My opinion needs to simmer for another week before I could think I could properly talk about it. But right now is where I'm getting all the knee-jerk <laughs> reactions out of the way. So it still should be a fun episode. Style. What about you, man? Style points. Yeah, yeah definitely some style points to talk about here. Uh, so in the structure of the book, uh, we're back to the very short time span for a full novel, like the first four books. This book takes place over like, two days maybe is that three it? days it's oh crazy God. fast um however unlike the first four books we do not get part breaks by day mm. it, it it just goes straight through the way it did in sons of the oak uh which i i find just interesting like in so many ways sons of the oak is this fulcrum book that does its own thing like it it has its own structure, its own timeline. That's totally unlike the rest of them. And it, it bridges the gap between the kind of story that we got in the first four books and the kind of story we're going to get in these four, uh, like the next four, uh, presuming a tale of tales ever gets finished. Um, but like, you know, it, it's, it's that pivot point. And then here in Worldbinder is like the, the real start of the new series where like, everything has changed <laughs> yeah this book this book had I mean, like events had so much more dimension in a lot of this because of the context that we have from the first half of the series moments like where we have king Erstone claiming that he's going to take these this enchanted sword into battle himself and it is he who will be the one to slay a knight eternal let's get some major deja vu there <laughs> and it's just it's so much more poignant because it, i'm thinking of rajat and, and the downfall of king orden from the first in, in in the sum of all men and it's like oh there's just things happening have so much more yes. meaning and so much more depth and so much more weight because of this pseudo dramatic irony that we have. Yeah. And I, so this is another uh, style point I had in terms of the parallels between this book and the sum of all men, where we have this climactic battle set up in a crazy fortress, you know, like the, strongest bastion you know at a at longmont it's you know longmont's never fallen it's got it's basically helms deep right yeah. and then this one uh it, it's a it's more like a minas tirith like it's the capital it's got the multi-tiered city it's got like uh yeah you know the the spirits of the ancestors guarding it they have all these anti-wormling you know, lights and reflections and runes and, and everything like that. And in both battles, it's just like totally one-sided. The bad guys just shred through the whole fortress. Like it's no big deal. Yeah. It's scary. And I thought, I thought at the end of the last book that Falion was going to journey to the heart of the world in this one. And we were going to meet Avaran again and, and try and fix something only to find a bigger disaster waiting down there. Perhaps I was not expecting this entire plot thread to be shoved straight to the back burner and in favor of a totally unexpected new cataclysm disaster, like this to these two worlds merging into one. That is something we could not have seen coming, which is bold on one yeah. hand. A little disappointing on the other. I was really looking forward to some epic center of the world shenanigans and reunion with Avran, but I assume we'll still get that. And this was a holy crap moment in between that was just so far out of left field and so much more effective for it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely dark. out of left field. <laughs> the grim dark though, man. Ooh, things got worse. Yes. Especially, yeah, like the the tone of this book. Uh, these viewpoints from Prince Arith, like this crystal sarcophagus and the holes and the spikes and the endless torture, and then somehow it gets worse. You know, yeah, the endowment. The, you know, the well, I think empathy, uh, the, like the empathy touch combo yeah, endowment. adding someone else's torture to his own. Like, oh my God. I don't know how much more of this darkness I can take. Like, I am cognizant of the fact that we left Falion now in the hands of Volgnash at the end of the book, which does not yep. bode well for his immediate future, as I assume we're going to pick up. And he's about to get delivered to an him. Earth King. Yeah. 
yeah. inhabited by the queen of the Loka. Yeah. Yeah. So he's going to pick up with him imprisoned and being tortured, I assume, again in the Wormling Horde. I'm just not going to lie, man. If I have to sit through so much as another three or four chapters, maybe five chapters of torture and solitude, it's going to be hard for me to continue. I mean, well, yes. We are taking a break and we're reading the 10,000 Doors of January next. <sighs> yeah. That was a. a calculated move by my part in the schedule oh no <laughs> don't um, tell me that yeah well well like i usually try to break series up you know after if we do like three four five episodes in a row i'll toss in a little that bit of a palette sense. cleanser that makes um, sense and but. and i knew especially after the way this book ends where it's just so depressing although i will admit i forgot that um the yaleen Aerith combination happens in this book i thought it happened like my memory had it happening at the end of the next book so like ah. this, this was like i remembered you know care luciari falling king Earthstone being killed um uh Falian being captured like and that's that's enough you know of like things going badly for the good guys and then having that like quadruple whammy of the 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 most yep the the scariest thing of it of them all anti twisted earth king yeah being, you know oh my god twisted choosing by the wormling world. warriors Ugh. you're like oh man <laughs> yeah i just oh i was i ended i had ended that point saying please farland don't drop me straight back into the torture and the imprisonment in book seven with Fally and i don't think i can handle it uh, i do not recall how it opens okay but oh well but, where did these wings yeah. come from i don't mean literally i know where they came from the knights eternal i mean where did this come from, Farland? First off, <laughs> right. how does no one think this is a bad idea? Let's put on the evil thing's wings. You know, the, the Knights Eternal's wings. I'm already looking at that first pair myself. It was with, like, gruesome spikes that need applying, for lack of a better term. I'm just like, oh, what if these somehow change the wearer, though? What if it's the wings that make the Knight Eternal and not the other way around? But nope, everyone gets a pair. They're handed out, like, Oprah handing out vacations or vehicles. You get a pair. You get a pair. Everyone gets a, gets to fly. Oh, God. <laughs> Nice, nice. And for that matter, the Knights Eternal. How many of them were slain? Like three, four at this uh, point? I believe three have been killed. Um, so uh, I have to admit to misleading you on the last episode. Uh-huh. You directly asked me if there were only three. And yes. I, I had to say yes, because obviously the, the twist. I was wondering if spoiled. I had imagined that when I got through at this point. Yeah. So we've seen three of them die yeah. so far. How are we supposed to be as readers properly intimidated by the Knights Eternal when they can't seem to stop getting 360 no scoped like this? They keep going <laughs> down in one shot, and I'm just like, well, oh, these guys are schmucks. But we're still, still supposed to weapons, fear them. All of the weapons that could kill them are gone now. The only one that is still intact the after sword? the curse. The, the swords are all rusted and destroyed. Falian's broke. Uh, oh, that's right. Falian's broken and paled himself. That's right. Yeah. Um, the only the only one that wasn't ruined was the staff, and that was lost. Lost. Off it went the over cliff the edge. At, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then on top of that, those were Knights Eternal who did not have endowments. Oh crap! Yep. Okay. I mean, that's we saw Wolgdash like just absolutely. Yeah curb stomp oh he killed uh, he killed earthstone know. with rihanna <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> holy shit. yeah so that's the end of my style points for now uh, but i'm i have i have some some more um going back to structure okay yes there is almost no denouement in this book at all no <laughs> leave running like we get Maybe like two paragraphs. Like I may be exaggerating, but not by much. It's it's uh, it's just about two pages of Denouement where they like get uh, get away down the slopes of Mount Luciare, and then Dalen Hammer's like, "All right, uh, we're trapped. I'm gonna make a gateway. Rihanna, you have to stay behind. Um, the Emir will stay behind and and use forcibles." Uh, Peace out. And then we get this super weird ending. Like, I I really don't know what to think about this. Um, you know, so Rihanna is like, you know, how will I persuade people to give their endowments to this monster? Thinking about Rajaten, basically, the Emir. And then tell them that they are doing it to mm. save the Earth King, she realized. And Falion, whom I love. Tell them the truth. 
that feels like an ending. And then there's a page break. Or not a page break, but like a line break. And then one sentence. Rihanna flew so high that the morning sun touched her wings so that they sparkled like rubies in the sky. And the book ends. Mm -hmm. That last sentence is just so weird and unnecessary and like completely robs the impact of that final line. Like, tell them the truth. I wasn't sure how to phrase this. Thank you. Because that's the thing that happens in a lot of chapters in this book. I think I I remember uh, being surprised, especially in the audiobook when I couldn't see the page break happening when the chapter ended, because it would end on like a description of something or it would it would it would end in such a way that it's it doesn't deliver like a punch and then the ones mm-hmm. that stand out are the ones that say come on let's do this now and i'm like oh okay that one stood out no, you're absolutely right there were many many times in this book that i noticed a chapter itself would just end on a on an odd note when he sounded like he's going to continue and he and he doesn't yeah like so the end of the book that that one line of rihanna like flying up and yeah. and her wings glinting off the sun that reads to me like Farland wanted this to be a movie and that's like the ending shot of the movie there's your pullback and your yeah soaring chorus for lack of a better term yeah but but for a book and for this book especially it just really fell flat for me um like I I wish he had just ended it with that line tell them the truth that would have been way better and well done last episode by the way for making me look at the actual big color version of the cover here and asking me who do you think that is because yeah nailed it Rihanna I was so yeah. confused. <laughs> oh boy. But yeah, it worked out. I can see how it worked out. Although I'm just yeah. so concerned that everyone's got a pair of wings now. It just, it, it, there's like five minutes of learning to fly. And then there's, it's like basically a montage and then they're all just doing it. It's, it's just like, I don't know. It's just so, so abrupt. <laughs> and they I, all that get didn't wrecked land. when they try to do it. <laughs> <laughs> the wings didn't land for me. <laughs> if you like, forgive the expression. I just was like, okay, maybe I'll get yeah. used to them. Yeah, I, I had a similar uh, reaction the first time I read this book where I was just like, what is going on with the wings? Like, this just doesn't feel like the Rune Lords that I know and love. Yeah. And, and and now, you know, this is the third time I've read the book and I have read the Wormling Horde. So, like, I'm, I'm more used to the idea at this point and it doesn't really bother me. Um, but I absolutely agree that on a first reading, it just... It's just weird. <laughs> yeah. A lot of this book is really weird on the first reading. I can see it like building honest. building a book up to a decision like that and a revelation that the, they, they can use the wings and one of them does it and then it ends on a, oh, oh no, how is it going to affect him kind of thing. But no, it's just mm-hmm. like, oh, by the way, we could do this. Really? Why doesn't everybody do this? Well, we are already. And then they're doing it. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I'm just, okay, whatever. But there's still lots around this book that did shine that, that definitely didn't, you know, ruin the book in any shape of the of, of the meeting for me so yeah uh, more setting or sorry setting style or shall we go into our characters let's go into characters bring in a phallion bruh you need to calm down about siata holy crap where speaking of where the hell did things <laughs> come from and why is it moving so quickly how can what, what where is how did this come out of nowhere and how can nobody suspect that there's some serious magical influence going on here i mean phallion at least like pumps the brakes in that one scene where, where she's like, let's get married. And well, he's like, th- that's a good idea, but maybe let's get to know each other first. That's the point. Like- <laughs> she pumps the brakes after t- hearing t- for 20 seconds that he finds her beautiful to at- like, ask him to marry her. Like, of course, like, I didn't know this girl existed until a handful of chapters ago, well, 10 or 20 chapters ago. It's just, again, it felt so quick and forced on Farland's part. I- I'm already full of what the fuck, not even considering having to see all of this happen from Rihanna's point of view, man. Oh, hearing them yeah, say that, all the things that she feared that they would say. Uh, I'm telling you, like I, I said it in, in sons of the Oak. I said it last episode. Rihanna, I think is the most interesting of the new generation yes. of characters. Yeah. Her decision while looking in his eyes. And I have the quote right now, Rihanna could think of no greater way to prove her love than to give him the one thing he wanted most. Mm-hmm. Uh, the heartbreak like i was pretty firmly on the rihanna's trauma and her dedic her, her dedication and her this is all of it's going to lead to her like doing something really stupid i was on that train little did i know that she was capable of this and i've totally as you're saying i've come around on rihanna Fallion does not deserve her she deserves better <laughs> than this i am team rihanna now i really am nice i like it i like she it. earned it in this book you know it's just 
but we're still on Fallion. Sorry, Fallion's future, immediate future, as I said, is looking really grim. Um, and yeah, is, although he like we have that glimmer of hope, you know, that his soul has awakened. As awoken, and, yeah, as awakened, yelling, yelling, possessing the shadow world body of his father thing, <laughs> like. Mm-hmm. Fallon, like Fallon seems to be her only equal. This whole like, uh, but you're right. That whole awakening, this whole AL thing, AL thing, has me excited for the coming revelations. Yeah. It is, and we get a new title for him, Lightbringer. Lightbringer. Yeah, and and there's like there's a new seal. Like everything's been about like yeah, the seal, seal of, of the light inferno, but now you got the seal of light. Yeah, and yeah. And whatever happened to the seal of desolation? Like, are those like a, like a scale down across the axis into evil? Like, um, what's going on? Yeah. So, um, I remember a seal of desolation being a thing. Uh huh. The so at the end of Layer of Bones, there were mm-hmm. three, um, three seals that Averin created in the underworld that she like fixed. So there were three seals that the one true master was working on, and it was like the seal of desolation. Uh oh my gosh, now I'm trying to remember because it's been so long. Yeah. I just thought there was a lot uh, But basically, basically there's like there's an earth seal, a fire seal, and a and an air seal. And they're all oh, and a water seal. There were four. Um uh and and they're all like twisted versions of the elements. And then Averin went in and like made them the right ones. Like the seal of desolation got turned into the seal of life or the seal of creation. I can't remember what it was called. That seal of creation sounds about right. Yeah. Um, so, and, so many seals coming out of nowhere. How many? Yeah, other and then like the <laughs> and then the the air one got turned into the seal of of heaven, the seal of the heavens, or whatever ah. it's called. And like, yeah, and and uh, and so the seal of the inferno was the twisted fire one. And now I think this is the revelation that the seal of light is the healthy one. Huh. Just makes me wonder how many more seals are going to come to light in the future. Like, am I like, okay. Or if we're done, if we're get, if we've had all of them at this point, but that's just like the nerd part of me wanting to go into the lore now and get more lore revelations. Right. Um, huh. well, as far yeah, as Valian goes, I'm done on Valian. Yeah. Um, jazz. Jazz, dude, what the hell? I refuse to believe that we just lost Jazz like that. Broski like, just gets skewered into a prince kebab with a. Did you ever care spirit? about Jazz? Like, yes, I cared about Jazz. I was like, dude, he could be so. He has all of the reasons to be jealous and or or envious. Actually, this would be envy of his older brother, and he's not. He's just consistently like supportive and he he is a badass in his own right knocking down and like his moments of glory when when the other worlders were were cheering for him as he got another night eternal kill i'm just like this he's finally going somewhere good on his own maybe he's gonna like rule this world where fallian rules the first one i'd love to see that relationship between them strength and then he just gets skewered and we didn't check his vitals are we just gonna learn that the wings like greatly improve healing maybe or constitution i just don't want to accept that he's dead i don't want to accept that we've seen the end of jazz orden i don't yeah, like Jazz, I just <laughs> he was such a nothing character to me. What? Like mm-hmm. he it felt like he never like played any unique important role in the story. Like everything he did could have been done by other people sure. and and he didn't bring anything like important to the table. He was just there as a younger brother and then oh, now you're dead. I wanted to see him become glory in in this next world, in the shadow world, and be like a leader among them. That would have been cool. That I was like, ah, watching them cheer for him had me so pumped. But hmm. that's oh, fascinating. Boy. Yeah, I never like when he died. I was just like, oh, huh, okay. <laughs> like, like I had just no reaction to yep. his death. And when he died, I was like, no, 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 no. Somebody <laughs> check him. <laughs> okay, and he just gets left behind. Oh crap. <sighs> yeah, but that's honestly that's the only point that that is true. That it is the only point I had about jazz was to say that. So maybe he was really not that particularly memorable. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Uh, Dalen Hammer, Dalen freaking Hammer. I'm I'm coming to appreciate the world the the world in the way that it can be like filtered through Dalen Hammer's perspective. He is like he's involved with what's going on in a lot of different areas, but at the same time, his perspective is so occasionally pulled back and detached. 
Um, there's a moment that he had with Siata, for example, that made me realize this. She asks Dalen if she did well in flirting to distract the guards for their escape. And he has this moment of, of introspection where he's like, well, well, not particularly introspection, but he goes, like Severity. so many of the young. What's up? Sorry. Keep going. Like so many of the young, she had not yet learned that doing well was its own reward. And that quote in itself isn't particularly notable, but he follows it up with, she craved praise, which Dalen saw as a sign of her immaturity. Her brain still functioned primarily on an emotional level. The moments like this where you just get this unique Dalen Hammer perspective on people being people. Yeah. And him just seeing so it from the outside. Do you, like, I get massive Hoyd vibes from nah, Dalen I Hammer. definitely am now. Definitely am now. Yeah. Like, I, the obviously, the first time I read these books uh, was before I got into the Cosmere. You know, like... I read Mistborn just before this book came out. And uh, like, no, actually I think I read, I read Mistborn just after this book came out. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. So like I, and and even then, of course, when I read Mistborn and Elantris, those were the only two books that were out at the time in winter of 2007. Like, I didn't like the Cosmere wasn't really a thing yet. Like Hoyt is in both books, but we don't get any points of view from him. We don't get, you know, any of the substance of Hoyt. Uh, and so I had nothing, you know, like that, that uh, idea obviously never crossed my mind. And now going back and rereading these after 15 years of Cosmere, I'm yeah. like, Holy crap. Uh, you know, I, I want to ask Brandon, like, was Hoyt at all inspired by Dalen Hammer? Yeah. Or, like, how much of him, perhaps, was was inspired by just imagining, just fancying what it is that Dalen Hammer could have been up to or how he would have been different, you know? Like, that's what I'm doing in my reading for a lot of the time is, is I'm, I'm thinking, I'm predicting things. If they don't turn out that way and I still like what I had predicted, I'd like to use that or, or change it and yeah. run with it and see where it goes. This, this, this whole thing, I mean, it's very clear to see a lot of inspiration amongst authors and I'm totally, totally down for it. Except when it gets to the point where it's like Terry Goodkind and there's just oh, yeah. a whole lot of shame Straight ripping off. off with a lot of yeah. denials yeah. tossed in for good measure. <laughs> but th these kinds of like inspirations, assuming that it, it is an inspiration from Dalen Hammer, I love seeing how Brandon took it and ran with it and made it what it, what it is because it's, mm -hmm. yeah, it's just, it's so inspiring to see. Yeah, yeah, and it's like going back to kind of my points about Dalen Hammer in the first episode, where I thought it was a really bold authorial choice to give <laughs> us points of view from him. Uh, it, I think it, it was necessary ultimately for what we needed to to get in the second half of this book. We we needed to get some of that insight and see our heroes from a more learned perspective. You know, yeah. I would have preferred, I think it would have been a little more of a slow burn kind of revealing on the, on like on Hammer's part. But at the end of this book, he just, all of the gloves are off and it's just <laughs> waking light bringer. The world has need of you and the hour is late. <laughs> and then yeah. it just, it just takes off. I'm going to open a portal into the netherworld. Speaking of why not gateway out of the, uh, Oubliette? or did he just, was there a, like a magical reason he could not have done it at that time? I I don't have a for sure answer, Perhaps but I believe that is the case. Hmm. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think you can just, like, open a portal under any circumstances. Yeah. Uh, like, I mean, if you if you remember limits. back to the early books, like, the Flame Weavers had to, like, make a massive bonfire and have all kinds of runes and, and stuff to summon stuff from the, the Netherworld, you know? Yeah. So I, I believe that that was not not doable when he's standing, I like to think that he, you know, hip deep in. Yeah, maybe he's just so dedicated to his mission that he can't take, he takes leaving as a failure. Of course, then, no, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't hold water. Um, but yeah, it's just a lot, it's just so much happening with Dale and Hammer and I'm so fascinated, but he's, he's almost giving me more than I can handle so quickly. Yeah, I, I mean, the pace of this book really is insane. Like it goes back to the fact that it takes place over just a couple of days, but it's, it's more than that. It's the sheer amount of revelations about the way this universe works. I'm not going to say the world because it's clearly more than just yeah. a world. Uh, like it, this book is just a massive game changer. 
Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm done with Dalen Hammer. I'd okay. Like to talk briefly about Alun. Just very brief. Yes, we got to talk about Alan. Yeah. So he didn't die in this book, so that already exceeded my expectations, if I'm being honest. Uh, he definitely had his moments of glory and badass, particularly in these battle sequences. I loved watching him lead, you know, and lend the only help he really can in the confrontation against Fulgnosh and the element of surprise, the kill, the dogs just run in. That was cool. That was rewarding. I just don't like how it, how he ends this book, obviously. Super ominous. It's kind of predictable. Fowley and Orden has Siata. Now I need to do something about it. Like, uh, I'm half convinced that like my earlier bitching about him shoot him being Farland kind of shoehorning this 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 relationship together. Like I think Farland may have just needed this romance to you know to such an appalling degree between these two because he needs a character like Alan to consider something drastic against him. I'm kind of thinking that's like the reason because oh it's just Alan ending here has me so filled with frustration and foreboding. It's like, no, 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 no. Of all the things, we don't need somebody also angry at Fallian for this now. Yeah, I I think Alan's the weakest part of this book. Um, I I wish we had less of him and more of the prince. Yeah, Prince the, the, Yeah, like the, the few points of view we get from him in Rugasa are insane. They're super fascinating. And... And on top of that, I, I feel like his choice at the end to give in could have been more powerful if he had more than like three pages of point of view time before he made the choice. You know, like he, he has like, I think, two points of view and they're both crazy short. And mm. if if we had been getting points of view from him all throughout the book fighting back against the torture being you know resisting the temptations seeing temptations that uh lady despair is offering him and him rejecting them and and slowly building the ante up to finally the revelation of the endowment hmm. i think that would have been a really powerful character arc really e- even more tragic because now it's like yeah it's tragic but like we don't really know the guy like, yeah, he's the Earth King, but he's not Gaborn. Like, that was made very clear in this in yeah. this book that just because you're the shadow self of somebody doesn't mean you're at all the same kind of person. So we can't just say, oh, it's it's Gaborn. It's not. We don't know this guy. So, it, you know, it, it's kind of that show versus tell thing where everybody keeps telling us, oh, he's he was such a great man. We everybody loved him. It's, it's tell, 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 tell. And we never get to see him do that except in like two pages where hmm. we get a brief description of him being like, yeah, I'm so used to the pain now that I just like go away to this dull place and ignore it. Huh. And then, yeah. and then he gets the endowment and immediately breaks. It's like that gets robbed of some of its import. If we had gotten chapters throughout the book of him dealing with the torture and showing his inner strength then it would be a crushing blow for him to give in and accept Yelene at the end. I agree to a degree, though. I feel like if it had uh, more, for sure, I would have liked to have uh, have more. I'd even say a lot more. If it had gone throughout the entire book, though, say with like 10 or 12 viewpoints, I would have felt kind of cheated at the end when he did turn around. I would have been invested enough that it would have felt, oh, what? you built this up for, for a disappointment, but a f- uh, some more would have been appreciated. I, it was still a little out of nowhere for me, a little hard to get used to a little abrupt. So I, I would have preferred like, yeah, like three or four, maybe five viewpoints. Um, but again, to a degree, if it had been through the whole book, I feel like I personally would have been like disappointed if, when it turned out to be this. Huh. But that's just me. That's a, that's a very subjective viewpoint. Yeah, okay. But, um, See here, we talked about Aerith. We talked about Dalen Hammer. But certainly, Alan. the the state we leave the book with him is terrifying. You know, oh that my god, the the ultimate evil is in possession of like the Earth King, <laughs> the most powerful dude. You know, yeah. Uh, now, now it is worth pointing out how Earth and Fire are pretty directly opposed. You know, uh, where like Gaborn had such a problem fighting against the flame weavers 
because fire is aggressive and destructive and earth is defensive. Yeah. And so you, you have to imagine that um, dynamic between the two powers will play into things with Falion as our hero. 100%. Yeah. And just like how we, we leave this book setting up this seemingly insurmountable conflict. That's literary gold. So far as I'm concerned, <laughs> going into book seven of the series, I'm excited for it, but damn it. Does it suck for Aerith? Yes. Nah, it's just, oh, anyway, those are the end of my character notes for this book. Any other characters? Shall we go into uh, Sissel? Sissel. I so thought he, he survived. Died. I'm so glad he didn't die. Yeah. And, uh, and apparently the death Lord was his old master. Yeah. Oh, I, I had forgotten about that. That's right. I was so just thrilled with him breaking the wall open that I kind of forgot about their conversation right beforehand. Yeah. But like uh, of all the characters who got melded, he's the one who feels the most like his old character, like Benesman. Yes. Like, yeah, like they're, they're basically the same dude. Yes. So the just fact that taller. he lived yeah. is like awesome. Cause I, you know, B- Benesman was one of the best characters in the, in the first series. So, so much, so much agreement here. Like his, insi- like wizard Cecil and his insistence that, Benisman's magic like earth magic is kind of like his own life magic but he then he expounds upon that saying life magic is more there's more to it and I'm, there's something to that i guess that's my first prediction there's, i want to know what it is about this life magic cecil's life magic that makes it that just uh, how much more it represents i think it's going to be a big thing in the future how like earth magic all along was perhaps just lacking something vital raffo yeah. raffo <laughs> yes so that's my first uh, miscellaneous point. It's a prediction, but yes. Uh, anything else about Cecil though? Um, yeah, I, Cecil, I, Cecil. I think he, he had a great Cecil. Cecil, sorry. Yeah. Cause I kept yeah. pronouncing it differently with the audiobook and then seeing it pronounced with S's actually written with S's. I had two yes. C's coming out of the audiobook, thinking it was that. Oh. So my whole wiring has been crossed. Cecil, pardon me. Yeah. Cecil. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah, he, he he had a a couple of awesome moments. I, I I like his his like firefly trick where they provide wow. all the light, but yeah. it doesn't provide any light for the wormlings because it's life. You know, yeah. it's like living things providing it instead of fire, which is like death and destruction. Yeah, coating the soldiers with the seeds and everything, like yeah, carrying yeah. life on them. It's just like oh, it was so cool. It was really cool. Um. Yeah. Like he's just I don't know. It's nice to have businessmen back, basically. <laughs> Always. Always. Oh, yeah. Um, so, all right, let's head into miscellaneous slash predictions. Okay. Miscellaneous points. Yeah. Um, all of mine are predictions, I think. So, and I've got like five of them. Well, I just went through one of them, but go ahead. Start us off. Uh, like. Did you get tired of all the peering and all the racing people do? No, I didn't notice it. Oh my gosh. It's like he he was incapable of saying like like the he was constantly looking for synonyms and he kept landing on peer instead of look and race instead of run. And there was one there was one point I I again I don't unfortunately have my you know I, uh, I don't have an ebook of this, so I can't search it up. But there was one point well, towards the end um, where, in like one sentence or two sentences, multiple people are peering up at each other, peering and I was just up. yeah laughing at myself. Like I think peered up or peering up. I don't. I don't remember the peering which. up four times. Let's see how many peered up. I love this e-reader. I was able to answer a question yeah. of Peter Alstrom's with it just like a week ago. I was like, ha, that felt good. Oh, wow. Nice. Peered up takes five pages of that's yeah. at least 20 times. Yeah, there's a lot of peering. Wow. <laughs> a lot of peering. 21 looks like. My goodness. Um, yeah. Uh, but... <laughs> I can't believe you picked up. I didn't pick up on that at all. Maybe it's because I listened to the first half and read the second half. But yeah. And and so I just I just remembered this works for miscellaneous point, but really it was a style point, and I'd forgotten to write it down. It was killing me earlier today because I was like, I I know I had something I wanted to write down. Mm-hmm. All right, the style, the 
word choice and sentence constructions that he uses in this book are very lofty. They have a like a mythological feel. Yes. Yes. Um, it it almost reminds me of the Silmarillion. He Ooh. uses a lot of for and indeed and so like it, there's there's just this gravity to the language mm, more and it makes a, yeah. a sharp contrast to the sparsity of the book. Cause like, this is a really short book, you know, like this is 335 pages. Yeah. I was expecting six or seven hours to finish in, the book this in hardcover. Half. And that's like, pretty generous margins and spacing and font size. Like this, this book is not long and it is not. And it, it moves so fast. And so it makes uh, as, as far as things I've read, I think a unique style where it, it blends the kind of like modern relentless pace of storytelling with a more antiquated language. Yeah. And I really enjoyed it. I th- I'm pretty sure I'm going to be quoting some of these in my favorite scenes. Mm, okay. But uh, yeah. so I was a big fan of those. Yeah. I love it. I love when authors reach the top shelf with their language, do it, do it more as long as it fits, as long as it doesn't come like across it, as obnoxious it reads at points. Like uh, a bard is like proclaiming it. It's like, you know, King Earthstone you know, smote the wormling for his arm was so strong. Like, you know, that kind of a thing. Like, <laughs> yeah. More of that. So, yeah. That's what I say. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, Predictions? Yes. The king advanced towards the doorway and Volgnash caught sight of his weapon, the otherworldly steel gleaming red in a shaft of sunlight. Even that brief image undid him. Fulgnash held back a shriek, half blinded by pain, and threw a hand in the air to shield his eyes. He looked at the king and heard voices. For half an instant, he had a vision of King Erstone as a young man kneeling upon one knee, surrounded by his warlords. Each of them had laid his left hand upon the young king's head, and a wizard spoke for them all. Upon you we place the hope of all our people. Though you be a king, you are a servant to us all. There is something going on here. Volgnash is seeing a melding of these two worlds for a reason. And it might have something to do with his sword that Erstone is holding. And at this point, I couldn't remember what it was. So I wrote it down to ask you, what was it that made this weapon important again or special? How did it become unique? It was, it was one of the swords that the kids brought over that Mirama blessed. Okay. So it's got a Mirama blessing on it. Yeah. Dope. All right, cool. But yeah, something's going on here with these, with this image this vision that Volgnash sees, something is happening there. And I think it's going to happen more, maybe. Okay. Okay. Now, more more miscellaneous or predictions, because I have two or three more to go through. Uh, you can, I, I you can am jump done in on, with yeah? my miscellaneous notes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The souls of the dead supposedly guarding their descendants in Cara Luciani. The pools of writhing light beneath these, I, the arches or the tunnels? I can't remember exactly where they were. Um, that's a thing. So the souls being lights. <laughs> pardon my french i don't know how these pieces fit i could totally see some sort of moment of glory capitalize the glory if you will or where the souls of our lost ancestors or sorry our lost ancestors our lost characters in this series still manage to unite in some way and protect the living that would be cool that would be cool hmm. okay uh i talked yeah. about wizard uh i would talk with sissel and his insistence business yep magic okay uh earth magic more okay <clears throat> Dalen claims he's going to open this portal for them and they enter the netherworld. Rihanna claims that whoever this white council is, uh, they aren't going to accept these people. And Dalen says, he disagrees. He says that the council are broken, hunted, and may rejoice, I think his words were, um, or some such. I doubt that. My prediction going into the next book is that Rihanna has nailed it on the head with her guess and that this white council, whatever the heck that is, is going to be a major pain in the ass in the next book. Hmm, Okay. Hmm. Seems like a reasonable prediction. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And this next one's not really much of a prediction, but um, you'll see what I mean. In ch- chapter 28, we get this little nugget from Dalen Hammer. 
Um, I don't think it ever came to light unless it did. So maybe you explain to me. Uh, following Khan Hazar and Siata meeting for the first time during their like little heist escape thing, Siata mm-hmm. asks Dalen Hammer, you're going to make the exchange? Will there be wormlings? And then Dalen nods again. She glanced down at his side, saw his long knife strapped to his boot. He was acquitted for battle, if need be, and Dalen's skill with weapons was legendary. And he had weapons at his disposal that she could not see, could not even begin to understand. All right, she said, I'll come. So then now I'm going to have a prediction, but I just want to point out that we never got an answer to what these, that weapon is. These are, Uh huh. I hope we'll see them in the future. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, and remind nice me what ha- judicious so use of, um, Chekhov's gun, uh, omniscient narrator. Ah, <laughs> yeah, that as well. Yes. And remind me again. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of Avran and businessman from the last book got me thinking about spring, what happened to the to spring again? Did she die? I cannot remember uh, how yeah, she ended. She turned into a tree that impaled, that like grabbed and impaled and killed the Reaver Queen. Right. Right. Okay. I was, I was going to say, I assume she died by some sacrifice play and I'm totally dishonoring her memory, yeah. her memory by not remembering, but okay, cool. Yes. I think we've moved through my predictions. Yes, we have. I'm on to favorite scenes. How about you? Uh, yeah, let's do it. Okay. Chapter, oh, chapter three, sorry. My third favorite, chapter 26 the Temple of Death, and when King Erstone confronts Volk Nash for the first time. And again, of course, me being me, I have the quote. But this king knew better than to hope to slay a knight eternal in anger. Such hopes were false hopes and would only have worked to his demise. Yet he advanced anyway, without fear, and offered Volk Nash something more terrible than death, life. He carried seeds upon him in the hopes of his people, and he wore an accursed sword. Sorry, bore an accursed sword. It was as if Volgnash stood before some mage king who had walked straight out of some long-forgotten legend. King Erstone's calm demeanor hinted at a tremendous reserve of power. Against such a man, I dare not stand, Volgnash decided. Right there. Against such a man, I dare not stand. This is the that language that's just chilling. It's so good. Excellent. That is also my third favorite scene. Mm. I almost just spit, took my coffee all over the screen sorry my tea all over the screen here i'm gonna spit it out wow <clears throat> yep very nice nailed it very nice oh, okay i guess i go straight to second favorite then unless there's yep. anything else you want to say about it <laughs> no i i just I, I love the imagery you know the framing him in the doorway and then yeah he, the transition from this like horrific violence the battle between the the wormling guards and his army trying to break in and then the shift it's a different type of battle i thought that was a really well executed Ah. scene yes so much agreement my second favorite is chapter actually it's just an epigraph i'm going to switch it up it's an epigraph to chapter 28 and that epigraph reads ultimately in life the heights that we attain depend on two things our ability to dream and the self-control we exert to make those dreams come true the emir tulra of dalharistan and I totally forgot to talk about the Amir Tulra of Delharistan. Oh my god! Um, <laughs> oh, you asked me directly last last episode, didn't you? Uh, did. Do you think Raj Otten's anywhere? I went. Uh, 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 don't I don't know. I don't think so. I swear, I swear, I was thinking of the Amir. I I swear, I I I was so frustrated when it came to light in this half. I started punching my pillow because I was reading in bed for this half. I was like, "Damn it! Damn it! Damn it! Damn it! Damn it!" I heard my dog get up. I was like, "What's going on?" <laughs> I looked right at it. I'm like, I should have said it. I should have said it. I should have said it. But yeah, that epigraph was so inspiring. I love these epigraphs. There's so much wisdom in there. So much. This Something about this one really rang and just struck home. I loved it. It's so inspiring. Yeah. So epigraphs of chapter 28. Yeah. The epigraphs, like. They're not all inspiring. Some of them are from I, Volgash. Yeah, yeah. I think, <laughs> I think some of them are, are a little hit or miss. Um, sometimes it's just like really on the nose where he's like, I want to set up this theme in, in this chapter. So I'm going to straight out say yep. the theme in the epigraph. Mm-hmm. Um, there could be a little more subtlety in some of them. But yeah. uh, but my second favorite is Sissel versus the Death Lord. Ah, uh, good choice. This is one of those scenes that I mentioned last week that like I vividly remembered from the first time I read the book. Uh, and 
for one thing, it's it's an awesome spectacle, you know, great scene. Uh, you know, we get the revelation of who the Death Lord was. But the thing that has always stuck with me with this scene. So I may have mentioned this before, but this book came out, I believe, on the same day or like a day or two after uh, Lead Sales Paper Anchor, an album by Atreyu. Atreyu? Really? Yeah. I love that album. I shouldn't say and, I love a few of the songs on there. Oh, yep. yeah. It's it's my favorite album by Atreyu. It's one of my favorite albums of all time. Yeah. Uh, I love it. Anyway, yeah, I was reading was this book. This book came out, and that day I was flying from Colorado to Minnesota to go on some college visits. This was right at the beginning of my senior year of high school. And I remember sitting in the airport, reading the end of this book, listening to Lead Sales Paper Anchor. Mm. And during this whole sequence, when they're like, you know, we still have an hour till dawn. We still have a half hour till dawn. Get everybody to the Eastern Caverns. And I'm like, oh, they're trying to fight until you know, the sun rises yeah. so they can survive. And my favorite track on that album. Yeah. Hit me. I'm looking two, at the track listing honor. It's called honor. Sorry. I just gave that away. And the chorus of it goes fight, fight, fight till the break of dawn. Oh yes. And Absolutely. so like, I've just had this unbreakable connection between this scene and that song. And that's my favorite song by Atreyu. So like is it? this this oh, scene has always you know held a, a special place. Oh, um, yeah. it's kind of yeah. mainstream, but Becoming the Bull is my favorite one. It's just a uh, great song. Great song. Ooh. Yeah. Or Right Side uh, of the Web, that's a different album. Um yeah. Yes. So uh okay. <laughs> Your favorite? Yeah, I'm gonna have to check that one out this like tonight. My favorite scene. <clears throat> and this is an Alan point of view, as they work together to take down a night eternal. I had my my note open. I actually wrote down. I actually transcribed it from the phone. And I'm sorry, future Drew has to censor this, but I wrote, "Fuck yes, fuck yes." Madoc and Talon <laughs> and Alun and Wanderlust and Brute and Siata versus Volgnash. Hell yes. Alun realizes that he's charging to his death, but he hurries to catch up to the others, realizing that he at least won't die alone. And then this whole thing about the element of surprise kill and he releases the dogs and the dog is just hanging off of the one arm or stone swinging at the other arm it's just they work together to take him down that was just bravo that was chef's kiss that one beautifully written that scene was so much hype so it's my favorite nice, yeah so All my right, favorite dude. is the ascension of yelin as the twisted earth king oh it's like obviously what happens in the scene is not great but the way it's written is so foreboding, so intense. Like you, you kind of have forgotten almost at this point. We're like right at the end of two books since we've really dealt with what the Earth King is, and so it's easy to to be like, oh yeah, he's you know he's super powerful, but you forget the details. And then when Yaline turns around and starts choosing people, you're just like, oh no, nah. yeah. And, yeah, I I love it. Great, great scene setting. Yeah, oh, it's so crazy. <laughs> so this next book is going to be crazy, and I'm looking forward to it. But we are taking a break, as you say. We're going into yes. an Alex Harrow book. We are, and I'm I'm very excited for it. It's going to be another big shift in style. I have a feeling, but uh, exciting for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think I think that brings us to the end of our discussion on Worldbinder. So final draft. Yeah, final draft. So I was drinking. I misspoke about five ten minutes ago when I when I referred to it. It's not a coffee. I'm drinking a tea. I decided after we ran out of Earl Grey tea, and since I'm still not drinking anything, um, I decided to, to comb the deep cupboards. You know, for the tear that the tear the tea that every that just gets lost behind everything else to find what we had something that was interesting. And I found this tea that made me stop and go, huh? Why not? Why not? So I tried today for the first time a jasmine tea. And oh. uh, bro, it's like drinking flowers. It's actually really nice. It's very nice. I, I actually very... don't think I've ever tried a jasmine tea. Yeah. I've tried yeah. lavender tea. 
I started thinking back to just recently when I was recovering um, the Alloy of Law on World Hoppers podcast and, you know, tea omen there, not to spoil anything. There's a butler that makes really good teas and he like always has a tea for a certain occasion. And I thought about this one. I'm thinking this one's so relaxing. I would love to try Jasmine tea. Like if I ever get like anxious about something, if I'm nervous about an interview coming up or having anxiety or something, that would totally, I feel like that taste was very soothing. It would calm me down. So Jasmine tea, I'm going to be drinking more of in the future. Uh, yeah, Jasmine tea's dope. Very nice. What about you, yeah. my friend? Well, I am drinking tonic water as of normal. Course, of course, yeah. Um, uh, this is a different one. It's Q Spectacular Tonic Water. Though I will say, if if I could drink caffeine, I would have been drinking a Red Bull. You can't drink caffeine either? No, I yeah, I haven't like really been a caffeine drinker for a long time because it, it's like the biggest trigger for... I get vertigo from it. Oh, damn. Yeah, don't yeah, do that. Man. I have Meniere's disease. Yeah, we've talked about um, Damn. But do you have any idea why I would have been drinking a Red Bull, Rob? A Red Bull? Oh, God, yeah. no. Don't say it. Don't say it at all. Because <laughs> it gives you wings. Yes, because it allows one to partake in aerial <laughs> maneuvers. Yes, of course it does. Oh, God. <laughs> that would have been really good, actually. <laughs> that would have yeah. been really good. Yeah. Oh. But, uh, of course... It's not a final draft without a thematically appropriate beer. Heck so yeah. Lauren is back. What's up, Lauren? I mean, I could have had a Red Bull. <laughs> she totally could have had a Red Bull. You let her that pass. Oh, man. <laughs> How dare you? I may or may not keep a case in my car at all times. You an energy drink drinker? Oh, yeah. Yeah? I try not to. I binge on them. I, I, I get into them for a couple months at a time, and then I go a year without it. And then I get really into them for a couple months again. Yeah, Lauren. Lauren definitely has a caffeine problem. <laughs> nice. No, I have. I have a not being able to sleep for all <laughs> the hours go. that I want to problem. <laughs> yeah, actually, caffeine's but, very easy for Lauren. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, let's let's talk beer, Lauren. What are beer. you drinking? Okay, so I am drinking a barrel aged stout, and it is from Fremont in Seattle. And I actually listened to an interview uh, months ago with the the founder and owner. Oh. So huh? he he was successful on his own. Um, he's a lawyer and wanted a new project. And they are actually organic. They're all organic. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. They're they're interesting. Yeah. yeah. I hear yeah. being a lawyer pays well. So I imagine it's pretty, it really helps in like chasing other ventures. That's cool. Well, it, it depends on what type of lawyer you are. It's true. If you're a public defender, you are not making yeah, much. Yeah. <laughs> Dang. I thought they'd still make quite a pretty penny. Uh, but yeah, I mean, not in this country anyway. Hmm. Maybe. Yeah. But, but about the beer though. This guy is quite strong i'm trying to find the abv oh, i think boy. we might have stopped putting it on if there. you guys think it's strong help me oh my god i think i think this beer is probably in the 11 percent range oh. um, i yeah i, I think, think past be years right. have been like 11.3 11.5 oh, nope uh 13.4 13.4 okay yeah so it's a it's a doozy but that's a hangover this beer. is also um bourbon barrel aged Ooh. so it was it was aged seven to twelve months they, they kind of vary per barrel, usually. Um, in Kentucky bourbon barrels, they don't tell me which ones exactly. Hmm. Oh, this one's a blend, actually. They did um, multiple barrels, like whiskey barrels, that were 24-month whiskey barrels, 18-month whiskey barrels, 12-month whiskey barrels, and 8-month whiskey barrels. Whoa. Okay. Yeah. So... Basically, I, I can tell you from the brewery that I work at, uh, Weldworks, we we get these barrels shipped in from like a middleman who goes to all the different distilleries and collects their barrels. Because especially with bourbon, they are only allowed to use it once. So by right, U.S. law... Yeah. If you use it again, it's not bourbon anymore. Like you can't call it bourbon. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> we we have some some interesting laws actually around that. Yeah, I remember I mean, learning but, that recently. But, yeah, and, and also it's a trend like across the world where yeah, people jealously guard their uh yes. their hard alcohols. <laughs> well, not just and, and, beer. and beer. Yeah, and wine. Yeah. And wine. <clears throat> just alcohol in general, I guess. Thinking about like champagne or lambic. Right. You know, things that you can't legally call lambic. You know, I was just watching a not a brewed stupid... with a certain process in Belgium. <clears throat> Pardon my throat. Yes, I was just watching a stupid documentary today about Canada's beef with <laughs> beef. Pardon me, uh, with the Jamaican patty and how, like, you know, they weren't allowed to call Jamaican patties Jamaican patties because they're not a patty. They're surrounded in pastry and stuff like that. This was like 10, 15 years ago, and it kind of put oh. a couple of businesses like in a lot of trouble and then out of business because they had to change their names and pay for their legal fees and stuff like that. But yeah, it's just, it's, you're, you're absolutely right. It's crazy what foods can and cannot be named based on absurdly specific things. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And I, to get back to the beer. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're, sorry. This one, this one, they were kind of going for like Christmas spices. So it's vanilla, chocolate, molasses, toffee, cinnamon, nutmeg, ginger. Allspice maybe? Oh, that's a, a lot of adjuncts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On t- on top of the like all the whiskey notes, so it kind of blends together pretty nicely. But yeah. like the reason why it's such a high ABV though is um, has a little to do with the barrel. Like sometimes we get them in and there's they're dry, and sometimes we get them in and there's significant portion of spirit left in there. They didn't drain it all. Mm. Um, but. I I tried to look up exactly like how much the ABV is going to go up when you barrel age it like this. And holy cow, there's a ton of arguing. <laughs> it's um, a contentious so topic. It, yeah, which is weird. And I was like, okay. So I went to um, a brewer I know who is formally educated and did some of his education at a distillery and has been brewing for years now. And I was like, okay, do you, do you have any data for me? He's like, well, I have more spirit data. He's like, you know, if you have high humidity, more alcohol is going to evaporate from that barrel. But if it's dry, more water is going to evaporate from that barrel. Yeah. Hmm. But I also saw arguments about a ton of other factors. So we'll see if I can find anything in the end, but yeah, this one's yeah. This is delicious and spiced and whiskey and mm. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. And so the name of this, uh, this is a throwback to our episode on Wizardborn. Oh my god! Uh, Do it to me. We, All right. uh, I, I brought a different variant of this same beer on um, as a shout out to Raja Ten and the return of Raja the Ten. Amir in this yes. book so this beer is barrel aged dark star from fremont brewing and it ah. is the spice wars variant spice wars that's appropriate <laughs> after hearing the, the ingredient list yes and it's appropriate yes. for rajadin and the and, or and or the emir and i can tell you like the spices those are on top and they're poignant yeah i just took a whiff uh, as i was handing it back to lauren and it is very strong. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, I believe that wraps up our episode tonight. Yes. Uh, this has been episode 166 of the Inking Out Loud podcast. Yeah. And find Lauren on her podcast. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And if you're interested in more hardcore beer knowledge, beer history, learning about different styles and things, check out the Novices Guide to Beer Styles. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um, next up, as we mentioned earlier, we're going to be taking a little break from the Rune Lords. We're going to cover the 10,000 Doors of January by Alex E. Harrow. Uh, check that out if you haven't yet. Uh, also check out her short fiction. We've covered a couple of her short stories, uh, for Patreon episodes. So good. And yeah, we've really enjoyed both of them. So we thought it was about time to feature something novel length on the main show. Uh, and... Speaking of Patreon, if you want to support Inking Out Loud, you can find us there at patreon.com slash inkingoutloud, or you can make a one-time donation on Coffee. That's ko-fi.com. 
As always, I have been your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my co-host, Rob Santos. Yep, yep. And our beer whiz, Lauren McCaffrey. Cheers. Yes, cheers. There you go. My jasmine tea. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs>